Welcome to the Indian Prairie Podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Jovany, Director of Innovation. And Candy Michelli, Director of Professional Learning. In today's episode, we will be discussing creating a student-centered classroom. Joining us today, we have invited Adam Page and Josh Robinson from Atia Valley High School to provide us with some insights on this topic. Welcome, Josh and Adam. Will you please introduce yourselves? Sure, thanks so much for having us. It's great to be with you guys. Um, so my name is Adam Page. I teach English over here at Matia Valley High School. Um, I currently teach freshmen and sophomores, and I'm also the newspaper advisor. Hello, um, my name is Josh Robinson. I also work at Matia Valley in our social studies department, and currently I teach our American Society course, so our uh, blended humanities course with English two and American history. Well, Adam and Josh, we're grateful that you are spending time with us today. We're going to start um, the conversation just off by asking you, what do you see in here in a student-centered classroom? What does that look like? You want to kick it off, Adam? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think fundamental to um, a student-centered classroom and the biggest thing um, is relationships. So you can't have a student-centered classroom if you don't know who the students are. Um, and I think everything else and things that we'll talk about and strategies we have um, all of it, though, I think flows from there as being the foundation. Yeah, I mean, and just to kind of add on that, I think that starts day one. And I think it's something that we want to make sure that we're always deliberate with. And that relationship, it doesn't just like naturally happen. It's things that we're doing within our classrooms of trying to get to know the kids individually as like individual students rather than as a collective class uh, that starts to build those relationships, build that trust that we want kids to be able to have in us and in their own peers. So then they feel comfortable having those amazing discussions and things that will eventually lead to a more student-centered environment. Well, I think that's something that, um, in particular, is something that Josh is so great at. So Josh and I used to teach American society together. And it's those, it's those little moments when students are working on something, they are wandering around the room and you strike up a conversation. You know, maybe they've got a, you know, a shirt on of a band or they're eating a certain snack and like just looking for those conversations, um, those opportunities to open up a more, uh, a, a conversation that helps us see our students' identities a little more, who they are, what drives them, what motivates them. And those are all little, uh, little jewels of information that we can use um, throughout the year. And I think it kind of, and Adam kind of touched on that a little bit is that, it's probably how our classroom set up and what we do within our classroom that determines that. You can't really have those conversations um, and get to know those kids individually if you're standing in front of a like, class whole time talking. Um, it's getting those kids to start to collaborate, interact with each other. And then you're sitting in those small groups with them, starting to build those relationships with them. And yeah, it might move away from something that isn't maybe like 100% on task all the time, but what it does is get to a deeper understanding because then those kids feel more comfortable asking those questions, engaging with you a lot more. But it's more about what we're doing within that classroom to create those opportunities um, that I think we're trying to be more deliberate about. So we've obviously had a couple of opportunities to see your classroom as an action and you see that dynamic learning happening and where you guys are interacting with students. Obviously, like you guys have mentioned, it just doesn't happen overnight. And you started to hit on a couple of those ideas. What are some other things that you guys do to kind of really set those expectations or that experience for students? Because it may be something that they've experienced in other classrooms, but, you know, really giving them that authentic experience that you guys allow in your classroom. I'll let Adam maybe talk about maybe some of the strategies in the classroom, but I think one thing like curricularly as we like, we may like the, that we were able to do with the American society course is just make sure that the, what we teach is culturally relevant to kids. Uh, 
like, I think one big thing that we've grabbed this year and we've used maybe as a motto is like, how do our students see themselves in their learning? And are the kids like, can they see themselves in what they're doing? And so the things that we do and the things that we teach are, are constantly connected. And we're fortunate enough to be humanities teachers that it gets real easy sometimes where we could be like, this happened yesterday or, and we could stop and talk about it. But I think we're, we make like it clear that we can stop and pause our teaching, like whatever our curriculum is to go, hey, we're going to talk about the world around us. And students, I think, appreciate that because now they're invested in what we're doing. They have a voice in what they're doing rather than us talking to them about what did happen or how to do something. They're now having a voice in what's happening in the world around them. When we make those curricular changes, I think it makes students feel seen and valued that we see you, we get you, and we're going to talk about things that are relevant to you. I think another big piece of the puzzle there, too, is um, trust that we have to establish trust with our students. Some students walk into a classroom and they're just ready to trust their teachers because they have always trusted their teachers and that has served them well. Um, some students walk into classrooms being skeptical of their teachers, that they've had experiences in their past where they don't, they're not sure if they can trust you or if they should trust you. And so it's really important to build a sense of trust with, your, with our students, letting them know that we are going to spend more effort trying to catch them being good than catch them being bad, that when they fall, we support them and we build them back up again, that when they make mistakes, whether it's a character mistake or an academic mistake, we, we, we are there to support and encourage and get them back and not hold things against them. And so I think once we've built that sense of trust with students, then having that student-centered classroom again becomes um, a lot easier and a lot more of a powerful experience. I know like what we're talking, and, and as I'm listening to us talking, it's like, there's not that like concrete strategy, like do this, it works. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think, but I think what it does is like, I think what we're trying to do with students is just make sure that we know that we care about them. And, and I think when we're like, me and Adam had a conversation about some of the stuff and some of the things we talked about were like, you know, how we decide to pace our classroom. And like we mentioned earlier of like how we maybe slow down at times to talk about current events, but also like recognizing that like our kids don't all learn at the same pace. Uh, and so how are we working with them as individuals, working in smaller groups to engage them? Um, how are we reassessing when kids don't quite hit the boat? But then I think the biggest thing we do is like own it when we mess up as teachers. And I think that's a huge thing, like saying like, hey, guys, I didn't do my best. So we're going to go back. And I think that creates that trust that I think that Adam talked about that's so important. And I think that's a huge piece to what we're trying to do is trying to continue to understand that like our kids don't come in at the same level. Um, our kids don't move at the same level, but so how do we do the best that we can with the kids that we like the large group of kids that we have in a classroom to treat their learning as individual as possible. I hear um, a couple of things in your, what you're saying too, is you as a human and you're showing vulner vulnerability of who you are as a teacher and owning up and taking responsibility for some of the things that you might do in a classroom as a teacher. Um, I'm guessing when you've walked into a classroom the first time that probably wasn't there right away. Um, how have you evolved as a teacher over the years and learned some of these skills and what advice would you give to teachers as they're entering classrooms for the first time, you know, in the next few, the next few months, um, or again, um, after they've been away from the classroom for some time? I, uh, I think one of the biggest, the biggest mindset shifts that I had from that first year walking in as a teacher to where I am now is um, how I measure um, if I was successful or not. So um, when I was a new teacher, I 
um, I would define success by and large by the things that I did. So I did this activity, um, I designed this assessment, I made this handout, um, and the big shift has been to um, define success based on what the students achieve. Um, and if, as long as we can keep, especially our new teachers, but for all of us, if we can keep our mindset in, that's our yardstick. Our yardstick is, um, did our students succeed academically? Um, did they um, succeed in terms of feeling um, empowered, um, motivated? Um, that, that is, I think, the big mindset shift that we have. And that, again, that's central to a student's in our classroom is that we measure our success based on our students' achievements and not based on which um, boxes we ticked on a curriculum guide. Yeah, I think same. I mean, you know, just echoing Adam's uh, words there. It's just, I think I've learned to care much more about what my students know rather than what they don't know. Um, and I think that's been a shift maybe in like, how I teach and how I assess and how we assess students and the different ways we try to assess students. Um, I think one of the things like me and Adam have both done is moved away from some of the assessment tools that tend to be punitive with kids. Um, and so I think what we're doing, trying to understand is like, I, I care much more about like what you're learning, how you're growing, um, where you like, where you were and where like you end up rather than like, this benchmark that I think is artificial or arbitrary that maybe we have put in or someone else has put in over time. You guys started to talk a little bit about some of the ways that you individualize it for students. Can you talk about the personalized learning in your classroom? What does it mean? And how does that kind of kind of come to light uh, for our students in, in their learning that you guys talked about in a lot of your uh, answers so far? Um, sure. I'd, I'd love to talk about um, our choice novels that we've increasingly been doing. This was um, um, uh, obviously not an idea I can take credit for. I can take credit for stealing it. Um, so at our school, um, the, well, I think uh, we did a lot of learning around Kelly Gallagher. Um, Jessica Thomas here kind of started this. Um, and then Rachel Bostic on our English 2 team continued this as well and expanding this idea. But giving students um, a, a pretty comprehensive and wide menu of quality but engaging novels to read. Um, we use the um, Lincoln list as a, a major one here. So those are, um, you know, high school appropriate, teen appropriate books, but also high interest that teens themselves say these are great books. And so allowing students then to choose what book they read, and then we put them in groups around their selections, and allow the students then to set their own reading schedule. Um, they meet once a week to talk about their books, to check in on their commitments and whether or not they met the target with their reading and other commitments they may have made. Um, and so, you know, we let the students choose the book they want to read to a certain degree, who they want to read it with, the pace they want to read it at. Um, and that, that this is this time of year that we do that. And it's just so great seeing students who, you know, the great Gatsby wasn't their jam. Um, but you put another interesting text in front of them and they just come alive. Um, and they're the ones that are the first to finish. They're leading conversations. They're exciting um, because, you know, they get to read a text that they cho chose and that they found interesting. So that's that's been one big kind of game changer for us to try to incorporate in as many classes as we can, at least one choice novel unit where students can pick the text that they're going to study. I think like similarly uh, within social studies, I think the inquiry-based learning that the C3 framework has come out with has been huge for us to kind of do that. But one thing that when Adam and I um, redesigned the American Society course a couple of years ago, 
we moved the history learning to thematic. And the thematic learning has allowed the kids to, rather than moving chronologically through it where it's not necessarily connected with them, we were able to move thematically to a place now where we're constantly starting in the present. And then we kind of find out the why and how we got to where like we were. And that's allowed for a ton of choice for our students when we're doing some of that inquiry-based learning where kids are developing their own questioning. They're choosing their own mediums to learn from. Um, they're choosing their own research. And so as they're doing some of that, re and we're teaching all those research skills that come with it, and we're teaching, but what the kids are able to do now is rather than kind of learning this history that doesn't maybe necessarily connect with them, they're now saying, this is something I'm passionate about in the now. Why is it the way it is? Or how is it the way it is? Or how did we get to it? And the kids are able to go back and research. And it takes time. Like some of that like choice doesn't necessarily at the beginning happen uh, because we're building some of the like kind of framework for them to be able to do it on their own. But by the time we get to where we would be at this point of the year, there's a lot of choice in what the kids begin to research what they choose to want to know about that's connected to their own lives. I think it's been a, just great listening to how you guys have created a culture of care in your classroom and students are um, clearly making gains of learning regardless of where you are in the curriculum that they just they want to learn and they're inspired to support each other and, and gain insights from you. Hearing, um, knowing that this year certainly has been a challenge, but looking ahead to the future, what's next for you in your, either in your building or your team, your department, um, either the end of the year or even moving into next school year? A, a big thing that we're focusing right now is grading, how we're handling grading and assessment. Um, the, an idea that we were always going to try this year, and it turned out to be perfect, actually, for this bizarre year we've had. In English 2, we implemented conference grading for each unit. Um, so... Um, at the beginning of each unit, we have a, a small, um, about four-ish um, number of uh, skills that we want to focus on in that unit. Um, along the way, uh, students have multiple opportunities for formative assessment and feedback, growth and learning. Um, and we have a, um, a reflection log set up for the students where they can chart that and um, monitor their progress towards their goals. And then at the end of the unit, um, we have met with every student for a five-minute one-on-one conference they've prepared for it ahead of time. And the students come in and talk to us about what they think their level of mastery was. And they have their evidence of learning from the unit. Um, I think looking at, looking at um, grading that way allows for a wider variety of pacing. It allows for students to show mastery in a wider variety of ways. Um, it doesn't penalize students who may have struggled at the very beginning, that, um, but they got it at the end. So we're, we've gotten rid of averaging in, in that way. Um, that if they started lower, that's not going to weight them down as long as they reach the target at the end. Um, so I think those conversations about rethinking how we can individualize grades and allow for grades to um, empower learning instead of restrain learning, I think is going to be um, definitely a next step for us. And, and to kind of add on to it, and Brian was able to be part of this conversation um, earlier in this week, is that we took the situation this year of not having to, like kids every day and like kind of the way we've had to plan and kind of pull from our curriculum and said, how does that look next year for us? Uh, and looked more like maybe more of an extended lesson model of how we go about things instead of having like five lessons a week that like we just, you know, this is your lesson Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's us looking at how we are now um, not having any kids multiple days and then saying, okay, now that we have these kids every day, how are we providing more time for students? Um, time where they're in front of us where we could support them. Time where we can group students in different ways where we could um, help them out in different ways. Maybe it's small group conversations outside in the hallway because the kids now 
are so much better at being like independent learners and that trust of having them in the classroom learning. And so it's really been starting to think about how do we take like the paring down of content that like we felt like we eliminated content that maybe necessarily didn't need and are really focusing on the skills that students truly need to know. And how can we now give kids time? Um, time in class to work together, time to work, that independent work time that uh, maybe in the past as teachers, we were maybe nervous to give, like maybe our classroom, oh, what's wrong with our classroom management? These kids are just like doing work and they're talking to each other. And now it's like, no, we want that. And so I think it's really taking a look at like what we were able to find out about ourselves this year and saying, okay, how do we give the kids more time for us to work with them them to work with each other. Cause I think that collaborative piece of kids starting to engage with each other again, is gonna be so critical next year. And I think like a common thing that's tying this whole conversation together, whether we're talking about time, um, curriculum, um, pacing, grading um, is really, uh, I think the next steps for us as a profession is to really step back and think about what does it mean to design school systems around students um, when school systems have traditionally been designed around adults. So. What, what does that mean for even things like how teachers' offices are arranged? Um, I had a great conversation today with one of my students who's been struggling in my class, happened to run into her Spanish teacher. Um, you know, he had information that I needed to know, and I had information that he needed to know. So how can we organize our spaces, our teams, um, our buildings, even um, around the needs of in, uh, students um, and not um, as they've traditionally been done, which is, you know, things like alphabetically or departmentally or things like that. Well, we appreciate you both being here with us today. It's been great listening to the ways that you're supporting students in the classroom and the relationships that you develop with not just your students, but each other. Um, I know you've had um, quite quite a year and we appreciate you sharing some of the strategies that you put in place um, in, in all your classrooms. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been really fun. We would like to thank Josh and Adam for their time today. We appreciate you sharing with us how you develop trusting and caring relationships with your students and how that impacts their learning in your classroom. We would like to thank members of our curriculum instruction team for the leadership on this topic and extend a special thank you to members of our communications department, Janet Julio and Clayton Urbanic, for making the podcast happen. If you have any further questions, please email your questions to curriculum at ipsd.org. We would like to thank you for your time today and hope you enjoyed being part of the conversation.